These people are fucking bananas. Hello and welcome to the Omcast. My name is Dom. As one half of the Omcast, I'm joined by Tom. Say hello, Tom. <coughs> you knew that was coming. It's the exact same every fucking week. I, was, I thought I could do it in time. Yes. Yes. Hello. Right. Uh, yes. No, it's hello, isn't it? For fuck's sake, you have one... It's been two weeks. Literally, this entire intro, you have one word in it. I try and keep it as simple as possible for you, because you do all the setting up of the recording. Anyway, so we now live in a world for the sequels, prequels, remakes and reboots, and we understand that sometimes life gets in the way and you're not always going to be able to catch up before a new one comes out. With that in mind, we're here to discuss our thoughts and feelings on the highs and lows of some of the biggest franchises in cinema history before we find out if the new one is worth seeing. This week, ahead of the release of the upcoming sequel, Doctor Sleep, we're reviewing Stanley Kubrick's classic, The Shining, starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and Danny Lloyd. Scatman Carruthers. And Scatman. Yeah. Um, I hate this film. Don't. It's genuinely one of my favourite films ever made. Yeah. I mean, like I like (laughs) rampantly object with Kubrick's behaviour during production. Mm. The the way that they treated Shelley Duvall, but my God, did they make an amazing film? It's yeah, it's insane, it's, and it's there. It's such a sort of monolithic thing that is like you. It's one of those films that like I remember knowing about it before I'd seen it. Mm-hmm. Like there are things like the you know here's Johnny and things that have, that live outside of it and take yeah. on a life of their own. Yeah, but it's also that is that's. Just a throwaway line. Yeah, it was just an improv on the that day. It was probably. an improv on the day from the Johnny Carson show mm. by Jack Nicholson that's taken on an entire new life from this yeah. film. And so much of the, the iconography and the ways and just the sets and the design mm-hmm. of the whole thing is just like every room in the Overlook and the way they built it is just iconic. Yeah. And it's amazing. But yeah, like I said, so you've had this up there as one of your favourite films. What was like the first time you saw it and how did you... What was oh, you... Jesus. First time I saw this, I was about 12, okay. 12 years old. Right. And uh, I was just stayed up really late and had, and it always used to stay up. So that's kind of how I got into film, was yeah. I used to stay up really late and I used to watch the films on like Channel 4. Yeah. Um, in the in the UK, we only had like four TV channels at the time. Mm. So, and uh, on a Friday and on the Saturday, Channel 4 used to put on like horror films like really late at night. And um, the BBC used to put on, like, classic films. Mm. So films like Scarface, The Godfather, Warriors, etc., all of these sort of ones. And uh, one day it just happened to be The Shining that I caught on Channel 4. Yeah. And it had... I don't know, it must have been around Halloween time because it had yeah. an introduction by Mark Kermode. Oh, really? Of all people. Yeah. Um, or, well, he was one of the talking heads, but it's sort of how I remember this film is through mm. Kermode. And, uh, yeah, and it fucking scared the life out of me. Yeah. And I didn't sleep all night. Yeah. I think I've, I must have seen it around the Halloween as well. It's one, it's one of those ones that comes up every Halloween and you see yeah. it, like, on offer for, like, two ninety nine at mm-hmm. HMV or on TV or just... It's just one of the go-to things. And it now has since become one of my go-to Halloween films. Yeah. In a similar way that there are certain films I always watch at Christmas. Yeah. If it's Halloween and someone's like, let's put a horror movie on, I will go to The Shining. Mm-hmm. And that's not even to say... It's a horror film in the traditional sense. It's no. like psychological thriller, I guess. Or, but I don't know. It's, it is, it's, yeah. But it is supernatural in a way. Um, but obviously, the biggest thing for me watching it again tonight. So we just came back from a cinema screening of it. Um, they're putting it back out in cinemas partly mm. because of the fact that there's this new film coming out, Doctor Sleep, which is a sequel based on a sequel that Stephen King wrote. Um, but in addition to having gone and seen it again, this is the first time I've ever seen it having read the book. Mm-hmm. So I read the book recently. Yeah. And now I know what the differences are. Because yeah. one of the biggest things with this is that it's famously hated by Stephen, Stephen King. King. Mm-hmm. Stephen King really does not like this no. movie and this interpretation of his work. No. Um, despite the fact that, it, like say, it is heralded, and rightly so, as one of the best, like, Thriller, like whatever you want to genre you want to just put it in. one of the greatest films ever made. Yeah, it's and it's Kubrick, and like everything yeah. Kubrick does is obviously every single one of his movies can be analyzed and written books about, and there are documentaries about them, and and, and rightly so because he's yeah. an absolute genius. 
But this is very much this is Stanley Kubrick's Shining. Yeah, it's not Stephen King's Shining. No, it's very, it's inspired by mm-hmm. The Shining, and I almost feel like they could have even gone further with that and have it just call it The Overlook, inspired um, by Stephen King's Shining, because so much of the but the Shining element of it doesn't. It, it's not that they don't really delve into it a lot. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's there we already going to get into sort of a bit of a debate about mm. sort of Kubrick's level of intellect when it comes to the film is that there is an argument to be made that the hotel, the overlook itself has the shine as Scatman yeah. Brothers says early on in the film. True. Yeah. Dick says that sometimes people do and they're not aware of it and sometimes places do. Mm. And as you see at the end of the film, spoilers, if you've not seen it, then shame on you. I'm going to, just talk about this film now. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the film, we see Shelley Duvall mm. experiencing and seeing the visions that Danny saw earlier in the film. Yeah. Well, I think and then we see, yeah. and then, but like, how did Jack get out of the freezer? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I know that I see what you mean, but it's like, there are certain things like they don't get into Danny's power and what he can do with it. And no. also the fact, the fact that the hotel wants him, yeah. Because he's so powerful and he has more of the stuff that they need, which is the shining. And that's an idea that he then expands upon in the sequel in Doctor Sleep. Yeah. But But they, that's not in the book. None of that is in what's wrong. Oh uh, no, sorry, not in the book. It's not that's not in the film. That's what I mean. When I say the shining itself as a concept takes a slightly back seat. Yeah. Because that's the thing, is the shining is and and the idea of what happens in the book is the Overlook Hotel manipulates Jack but the Danny's the one they want mm-hmm. it's all about getting to Danny but they kind of do away with that in the Kubrick's version in Kubrick's version is about them turning his yeah, you know, what the seeds of the resentment and things that he feels towards mm-hmm. his family and making that and turning them up a notch yeah the one thing and this is something that again now having had a new context because I've only ever known it as Jack Nicholson's Jack Torrance and that's the only other version yeah. of that character I've ever known and the one thing that I will say, which I've sort of read as one of King's criticisms of it, and I do kind of agree with, is that he does seem like he's nuts from the very beginning. Yeah. <laughs> like, when they're, when they're driving up to, to the hotel, and, and like, Danny's, like, on the shoulder asking questions, and he's like, oh, it's beautiful up here. He's like, yeah. He's just ho- barely holding it together. And he wants to fucking murder them right there and then. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, that's kind of the issue that you have when you cast Jack Nicholson. Yes, <laughs> and that's the thing. Like he's so charming early on as well. He is a little bit, but you still feel like he's gonna go nuts. Any oh second. yeah, but there's some, like, there's like an uneasy vibe around him. But that's I think he's a good enough actor for that uneasy vibe not to be there to begin with, and you can mm-hmm. slowly grow into it. And that's the one thing that I wish they had done for because all the other stuff in the book, like the or the you know stuff to do with the Shining, the sort of the you know the win- the window dressing things like the the. Um, topiary mm-hmm. creatures and stuff i could they get cut out and that doesn't really affect the, the major story mm-hmm. it's okay but the one thing that i do feel is missing from the kubrick's version is i wish it had been a slow build and yeah. you'd seen more of an arc because i just think of like the first scene where wendy comes in and asks him how he's getting on with his writing and he's a complete fucking arsehole to her like immediately mm-hmm. like it's like this should be like two or three scenes down the line yeah once you've started to lose it a little bit but he's just immediately a fucking arsehole. <laughs> yeah. But and but that I don't know, for for me it was always it's the it was that frightening because it was a guy that it was alluded to early on mm. that she was defending him after he hurt Danny. Yeah. And that... it was this it's alluded to this darkness and this violence within him. Mm. And she's like, No, it's fine. It's just a thing that happened. It was an accident. People do it all the time. It's not a problem. She's over explaining yeah, it. Yeah, I love that. And there are certain things like that where they, she just, it's brilliant in the writing and the sort of the direction of it where it just, it stays focused on her. She's explaining it to a doctor mm. who doesn't say a word, but she's going on and on and she's got this justification in her head about how yeah. he was drunk and he used a little bit too much force. Yeah. And a little bit too much. And then that's another thing. That and Jack, he, do- and he and does exactly the same thing. Later on, he over... Like yeah, exactly. He overexplains, which is, and then when you look in the aspect of like a domestic abuse side of things, she appears to be like parroting something mm. that he said. Yeah. 
So he's justified it to her in a way that it was... Mm. I'd been drinking all day. Of course I was tired. Yeah. And I got in and my papers were all over the thing. And then it was just this tiny, tiny little thing. It could happen to anyone. Yeah. And she says... You do it out. You go do it all the time with the kid. Do it all the time. It can happen to anyone. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you're right. It's, yeah, it makes and it sense. Is, it's like... It's, there's, a, there's so much more layered into it mm. than... Like, not saying, like, being overly critical of you or other people that are watching it, but there are... There are so many... Like, and this is from somebody that's seen this film 30, 40, 50 times. Mm. Is that you sit down and watch it, and every time you see it, you're like, oh, that's weird. Mm. Why, that is really weird. But, there's, but things- there's stuff like the first time that... And they're like, one month later. Mm. One month later. <laughs> um, I'll explain more about that later. Um there's the one month later scene when you, when he wakes up in the hotel room mm. in his, in their quarters and it's filmed in reflection. Yeah. So you see, yeah. So yeah. you see a mirror reflection of this scene and it starts that way, but then it cuts, but it cut when it cuts, it's facing the opposite, the, the correct way is yeah. no longer in the reflection. So it's these really jarring moments that are really quick to happen. Yeah. Like snap changes and like the shock zoom in scenes to like Danny's face and the yeah. way that things happen on like this immediate basis. Yeah. And it's so uh, powerful in the way that you see Jack behave. Yeah. Because there's the bit later on when Danny's red rum moment mm. and you start to see it early and then it builds up this big sort of crescendo of it happening. And she starts panicking mm. and the next thing, you know, shit just goes fucking mad. Yeah. Like yeah, Jack and it, and is smashing down the door, and it's done in such with such violence and such ferocity that it is this person snapping. Mm-hmm. But it's been seeded all the way through. Yeah, it's that brilliant use, and like it's the way throughout the whole movie. Like he juxtaposes like silence and eerie, mm. like quiet, with just like madness, and like that. A lot of that comes through with the score as well. Yeah, the score is either all fucking blaring crazy shit, or it's nothing. It's non-existent. Yeah, and nothing in between, really. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two options you have, and he uses that to like amazing effect. And there are certain, like particularly like the tracking shots. Yeah, and what that then means is that when you get the tracking shots later, when there's chases happening, like every time he goes around a corner, I'm fucking scared. Yeah, I'm like shit. It's gonna be around that corner. Ah, it's gonna be around that corner. Yeah, it's like when he's going through the maze. I'm just yeah, like, ah, fuck. Oh, the thing with The Shining is that I don't think you'll ever beat the first time you watch it. No, because of just the amount of tension that you actually yeah. see out, and then one, you know, and it's. It is amazing, and it, like you say, it, you keep revisiting it and going back to it, but I, the the first time you see it is just... God, you just can't be it. No, you can't, absolutely not. The film traumatised me for years. Like, I did probably didn't go back to it until I was in my tw- maybe 20s, late yeah. teens. Yeah. And it, that was it. Since I saw it again, I was like, this is amazing. Mm. This is amazing. And then I would just continue to watch it again and again and again. Yeah. Probably watch it three or four times a year. Mm. Um, but it is, it's incredible. Like the way that, again, like you said, like juxtaposition really is like one of the strongest words here because yeah. it's, there's so much in there that's designed to make you feel uncomfortable. Mm. There's continuity errors. Mm. There are things that are taken out of shot that are in shot before. There's the infamous chair. The chair. What does the, the chair, chair mean? The chair yeah. and the bench. And <laughs> then there's the, um, the carpet. Yeah. So like how, how like people talk about, it goes to show like there's so much layered in, in a Kubrick film. But then when you look at something like the shining and somebody says, Oh my God, the carpet. And you can recognize a film by just a pattern on something that's on the floor. Yeah. But it's done in such a way that it is this really vulgar color. It's like orange and cream and brown yeah like the set design of the shining generally yeah just on every level that not only like say like they they the attention to detail and Mm -hmm. just the amount of time and effort and thought has been gone into putting this color with that color and like you say making you feel uncomfortable but also maintaining a a sense of it being a real place yeah so like little things like you get these long panning shots where it's uh danny riding his trike yeah round and you'll see just out of the corner of one shot, you'll see just like the stairs from the big main hall downstairs. Yeah. And you meet, right, so we connected to 
and you have an idea of the geography of it. Yeah. And it works as an actual building. Mm-hmm. But then there will be also sequence parts of that where there'll be like this. So the part of this we're talking about, um, there was a, there's a documentary called Room 237, <laughs> um, which we both seen recently. Kind of. And they're kind of ish. <clears throat> and they do point out some things in there which are interesting, like the window in the office when yeah. he goes to have the interview. If you think about it, there's no way that window can actually be there. Mm-hmm. And again, that's another one of those inconsistent. Like, there's something in every. I think there's something in every shot. Some one of the commentators says this. There's something in every shot which doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like the, the, when they're watching TV, there's no power cord going to that TV. Yeah. And why would that television be in that position? Yeah. And just all these. There's always little things that like you don't even notice that you're noticing them, but you are. Mm. And like you know that this fucking hotel ain't right. Yeah. Something ain't right. Like. Yeah. And that's the thing. And at every point you're watching this film, you're like something not right here yeah. and like, it's, it's just perpetually got you like but again like i say like the like the use of color like we say mm. so when you actually get into like room 237 mm. the bathroom is this like really vivid green but before you even get to the bathroom it's a horrible it's this teal turquoise purple, yeah. green and purple yeah, and it's like these colors just don't go together. So no. I'm, I'm immediately like, what the fuck is wrong with this carpet? It's like sick. How I've got go yeah. so far to do this, and like, why are there, why is there steps here, and why is this open, and why yeah. is this this, and why is like none of this feels no. right. Yeah, like the bath, for example, the in in the bathroom in room two three seven, the the bottom of the bath sits lower than the floor. Yeah. So like, why is that so deep? Yeah. Like. What's going? Why is that over there? And why is that over there? And why is it? Why is it so bright in the bathroom when bathrooms aren't naturally that vivid? Yeah. But then it's a consistent thing across the entire film. All the bathrooms are exceptionally vivid. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And and the thing with this is like Kubrick is a filmmaker who he has considered everything. Yeah. Like and there nothing like there are some things that are like either continuity errors, like say to make you feel uncomfortable, or Mm -hmm. he's making some sort of comment. And, I, and yeah, again, another one of those ones that got picked up on that documentary was the um, the when they're at Danny when they're at the home right at the very beginning before they go to the Overlook, Danny's got some stickers on his wall on one side, and one of them is Dopey the Clown, uh, yeah. Dopey one of the um, seven, dwarves. seven Dwarves. He's there, and then in the next scene, all the other stickers are there, but Dopey isn't. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's that? <laughs> what does that mean? And it's like and little things like that. Also, he's not in Dopey's colours. No. So you're already like, mm, that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Everything about it is wrong. I uh, just, yeah. And also, but like the the way that like things are, the way he chooses to interpret things. So like, again, going back to Danny and his The Shining, this is a completely Kubrick thing that he came up with, which was the voice and the yeah, finger and that whole way of doing his imaginary friend, Tony. Mm-hmm. In the book, in the original, it is, it is the literal person that he sees, and that person then gets closer and closer to him as the book goes. Yeah. And it's then alluded to that the idea is that Tony is an older version of Danny. Yeah. And it's some sort because of weird... Because the shine is the possibility of being able to see the future. Yeah, it's timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly yeah. bollocks. Anyway, Kubrick does a completely different thing, and he has this young actor, who Danny Lloyd, his name is, and he actually, I forgot how good he was. Oh, he's amazing. And that's partly because I watched the 97 version, and that kid can't, it's pretty bad. Oh, <laughs> we'll talk about We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> um, but yeah, and he, but he chooses it, and it's really unsettling. And just the, particularly like the red rum scene in particular, where he's literally, it just goes yeah. on for a little bit too long. It goes on for about a minute longer than it should, just to make enough to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. And he's just, red rum. It's, red rum right, until he starts screaming it at his mum whilst holding a knife in one hand and it's just like this is wrong I don't like this I really don't like this stop it make it stop <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it is it's that scene is at that point when the film takes this big turn for me and I go from being okay with it mm. to it's that scene when Danny takes that turn and his voice changes, mm. and he just starts getting up and walking around and doing things was that, was, in like, like a trance. Yeah, he's at that point, like he's just before that, where he said, "Danny's not here anymore." Mm. To his mum, "This is Tony now," and like he's like, "Yeah," and he's kind of he. Don't, I don't think he really says a line after that at that point as Danny. He does it when he comes running out of the um, when he comes out of the, the but, labyrinth. Yeah, but even then, what does he say, "Mummy"? Yeah, he's That's just it. calling out for his mum. Yeah, and then 
That's it. But yeah, it's it's it's. Well, that's another one of those things where it's, it's an example of, and we've talked about it, like throughout this year, we've done lots of Stephen King adaptations. Mm. Um, and this is going to be another one where we talk about what works and what doesn't when you're adapting something. Yeah. And for me, the his choice of doing that with Danny and choosing to show Tony in that way fits this movie. Fits yeah. his tone and his movie mm-hmm. and, and the Kubrick version of The Shining Yeah, in a way that if he was to actually show a vision of a man like or a young man or whoever it is it would just not look it wouldn't fit right no. with what you're doing and it would just take it would take you out of it so it it makes perfect sense for them to reinterpret that mm-hmm. and that's a really good example of one artist reinterpreting another artist's work yeah. to make it work, fit for their vision yeah and um, that's the thing like the, the the way that tony is described in the books or or the book should i say and he's like you say, he's he's at a distance, and he sort he seems to be shrouded. Like you don't really know, have a description of who he no. is or how he's. It's all appears. vague. It's all very vague. It's, yeah, he's always sort of <laughs> shrouded in darkness. Or, um, like the first time I read it, I was I sort of I don't know where I got the impression from, but he was he came across as like a burn, mm. like a burned character. So he was like really dark and yeah. not like physically burned, but if I don't know. Oh, I can't really describe it, like a shadowy figure yeah. almost. Um, but yeah, and then you see it in, and then in this, like you say, you've got the interpretation with the finger and there oh, is the little boy that lives in my mouth. And you're like, that's quite weird. Mm. And it really, and he unsettles, like they have that really good scene with, between him and Halloran, mm. where he's explaining it and he doesn't quite get enough explanation out, but Halloran's like, taken aback by it. Mm. But then there's another one of those things where he just cuts off before they can yeah. get really into it. And later on, Danny goes, remember what Mr. Halloran said? They're just like pictures in a book. Yeah. But we never saw Halloran say that. No. We're only learning about it in retrospect because that conversation was just cut off. And all, the only, we got to the point where Halloran was still just really uncomfortable around this kid and looking at him like, what the fuck? Yeah. It never settled into the, them having an understanding with one another. No. Which is the point they do get to in the book before he leaves. And he's, you know, if anything happens, call me and I'll come running. Yeah. That kind of thing. And But like, even that is like a safety blanket. And Kubrick doesn't want you to have that. No. He's you like, no, want not, to be you're afraid. Not, you're not going to get that. So we're going to get halfway through that conversation and then I'm just going to cut to one month later. Yeah. And you're like, oh, fuck. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. And and again, like, one month later. Later. Um. But then again, like you, there are scenes, like there are things layered in that aren't explained but are shown. Mm. So again, like you say, when in the book, Jack becomes obsessed with all the paperwork and this um, is the scrapbook, isn't it? Yeah, but the scrapbook appears in the film, yeah, quite a lot, mm. and you see it at different stages throughout the film, yeah. But it's never explained. You never talk about it. You never like, told about it. No. You um, just see that Jack is working his way through it each time. And when he's, like the first, at that point where you say the first time that Wendy goes in to see Jack whilst he's writing and he loses his shit with her. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. And then the second time she goes in to see him after he's having the nightmare, it's there, but it's further on. But that's the thing, like, I, don't, I feel like that's something only people who've read the book will know the significance of that. Yeah. Otherwise you just, you dismiss it as just some set dressing on his yeah, desk. Exactly. It wouldn't mean anything unless you know the point of like, yeah, there was the scrapbook is like this piece of like tempting fruit almost that like, yeah, they, they that's, that's one of the hooks they get into Jack. Yeah. And by they, I mean the ghosty people. Yeah. The residents, the residents of, the hotel. of the hotel, which are like the, who enact its will. Yeah. If you like, and the idea that like, there's this, because a lot, a lot gets made out of the ending of The Shining in terms of like Jack becoming part of the yeah. hotel and how that all works. And then obviously we have he has conversations with Grady, who was the previous mm-hmm. um, caretaker who lost his mind and killed his family. Yeah, and he has conversations with them, and he starts having conversations with the bartender Lloyd. Yeah, like those are some of the best scenes. I love the bar scenes. The like bar the, scene is the, amazing. The first bar scene, like, and Nicholson is a fucking unbelievable like this is an yeah. amazing performance yeah. from Nicholson in this much as I do sort of feel like I wish there was there was a more like he's at he's at 10 at the start of the film do you know what <laughs> I mean and then he goes to 20 
but like I wish it, I wish he'd started at like a six and then slowly yeah. crank his way up a little bit. And he's got that; he can do that. Like I just feel like. But if you think think about the scene when he's being when he's interviewing with Olman, yeah, he is charming. I get that, and he's and he's quite nice and sort of. But there's this underlying thing of like. He could just grab that pencil and just kill either anyone mm-hmm. at any minute. But then it's also, I think the part of it is the, is the family element of it for me. Like, there's never any suggestion for me at all that there's any affection or love between him and his wife. No. He fucking hates her guts. And he, he like, and he barely, ha- like, tolerates his son as well. There's that really uncomfortable scene where he comes and sits on his lap. Yeah. And even that is, is super uncomfortable. Yeah. And like, I would like to see that scene. Uh, I'd like to see that scene with a different score. A much softer... Yeah score played over the top yeah because the way that the score is used there is it's very well again to go back to the word that we've probably used the most in this it's just so tense mm. the tension there is palpable and you're, yeah. you're very uncomfortable and the way that danny is clearly very very afraid of his father yeah but it's like I, I, he's very afraid of it and that's a shame that that's how they chose to interpret it is because he's already afraid of him at that point it's like because Again, keep going back to the book. In the book, they have a really close relationship and they yeah. talk to each other. Like Every night he comes and sees his dad and they have a long talk and they have this thing about Wendy being jealous of them yeah. and the, the relationship they have. He has a good relationship with his dad and then over the then it gets to the point at the end of the movie where his dad's trying to kill him. Yeah. And that's why it's so powerful and that's why it's so like... Because there was, there was a good father-son relationship yeah. to begin with. Whereas in this version, in the Jack Nicholson, Stanley Kubrick version, he hates his fucking guts yeah. and wants to strangle him. And he's just a man on the edge. He's a man on the edge. And then he just got, t- like, he was already on the edge. He was nowhere there. Whereas, you know, in the book, he's a man walking towards the edge and gets to the edge and then goes over. In, With Jack Nicholson, the, he's literally stood on the edge already. Like, he's right there, just like daring himself to fall Dancing over. on the, <laughs> on, dancing on, on a the... knife edge on the edge of the cliff. He's like, but I, that's, that's what I say about, like, the, the book is that, because people always say to me, because oh, what well, people always ask about films and stuff, mm. and they're like, oh, what's your favourite film? And what do you like? What, what do you like to read? And stuff like this. And I always say, like, there is a straight, I'm one of those strange people that, like, both The Shining book mm. and film, the Kubrick film, yeah. are both one of my favourite films ever made and one of my favourite books ever written. Yeah. Because they're both so frightening, yeah. but they're so different. Yeah. They are very different. But yeah. they're so amazingly, so both so amazingly done. And I can see why Kubrick made the decisions they did. Mm. And I can see the reason why Stephen King doesn't like it. Yeah. Because when you say about, like, the book, for example, there is that redemptive point for Jack. Yes. Which, which yeah. never comes up in the film. Yeah. Has in, what, so, in no shape whatsoever. And there's the point where Jack does literally start to turn back on it. And start fighting back against the hotel. Yeah, and he he tells his son to run away. He has a bit of a Darth Vader yeah. redemption redemption moment right yeah. right at the very end, um, and like and tells his son how much he loves him, and that is like a exactly that's an arc which was completely left out of the Kubrick version. Yeah, which is fine, you know, and he doesn't. It's a case of like say because we got these two like masters of their crafts in two completely different mediums. Yeah. And that's where you end up with these two different... They go, right, well, that's not going to work for what I want to do. And he's too much of an alter to just make an adaptation of it. Yeah. So he has to do his own thing. Yeah, justifiably. And so. just Yeah, like I say, justifiably. And it's a much far superior version than the version that Stephen King subsequently made, mm. which is much more faithful to the book. But it's another one of those examples where... And we've, we had the same conversation with um, Pet Cemetery where being faithful mm. to the source material doesn't make it good. Yeah. That's not what makes something good what makes it yeah. good is things like in this it's the direction it's the c- cinematography it's the you know it's the performances everything yeah it's, it's everything about it. that's what makes this amazing the and tv one would be better mm. if the performances were better yeah if you had a better cast uh, but even then like there's just some it just falls flat a little bit in a lot in lots it's of ways. so fucking long and it's so long and, like, i didn't even it, finish it I know. We've had two weeks to prepare for this. Yeah, I wasn't going to sit down and watch four and a half hours. Four and a half hours. It's because he just. And I think it's a little bit one of those. It's self indulgent because he loves his own work so much, mm. and he thinks that oh, I want to put this scene in, and this is like. But does this make a good? Because he wrote the teleplay yeah. for that version. It's like yeah, but does that make a good bit of television? Mm. 
He hasn't thought about that. All no. he knows is that he's like, this is the bit that happens next. Write that down. Mm-hmm. Then this bit. And it's just each scene. Like, but it also certain... loses a lot. It loses a lot of like... Look, one of the things that I found so enthralling in the book is the um, is the boiler. Yeah. So well, for anyone boi- that's unfamiliar with it, the boiler is uh, in, in, in the book is like the boiler, uh, the furnace that controls all the heating and all the sort of ventilation in the hotel. Mm. But the release valve has to be manually done because it can't do it automatically because there's a problem. So through periodically throughout the book, it's about Jack going and releasing the pressure in this valve. And it's this metaphor for his own sort of boiling point. Yeah. So as it goes through, it's building up, it's building up, it's building up. It gets to the end of the chapter, Jack goes and turns it down. And you're like, oh, okay. And then you're like, why are we going back to this? And it builds right up again. And there's a moment you're like, well, what the fuck's going to, I can't keep dealing with it. And then it goes back down again. And they talk about it and they go for a walk. Or there's the wasp nests. Or there's something like that. But at the same time, as with a lot of King's books, or a lot of his works, he seeds in a lot of his real life issues and the shining is one that is very 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 much about his alcoholism yeah because that's the big underlying thing throughout this is that it's jack torrance is an alcoholic Mm. who's on the on the wagon yeah and then decides to come and like this is his last chance and this is like a a friend managed to get him this job Mm. and but because he got fired from his teaching job because he beat up a student yeah and this is all the backstory and they don't really get into that in the kubrick one but it is again it's hinted that you Mm -hmm. get understand his desperation and he hints that you know if we don't have this then i'm gonna be washing cars somewhere so you understand that this is like his last chance and you can infer that that is as a result of his drinking and then like you say it's his drinking all he wants is a drink all he wants is a drink all he wants is a drink and then in this he goes to the bar and suddenly it's stocked yeah and it's like releasing that pressure valve yeah. And they have a literal pressure valve at the core of the... Like, they're <laughs> yeah. sat on a bomb, yeah. and they have to keep releasing the pressure valve every now and then. Yeah. Then there'll be a point where he forgets. And that's where the biggest deviation from the book comes in, and it's the ending. Mm. And it's interesting now that we're getting into the sequel, because what's going to end up happening now is they are making a film of Doctor Sleep, which was Stephen King's sequel to The Shining, which yeah. came out in 2013. And it is a story about Danny Torrance, yep. the young boy in The Shining, grown up. But what the way they're selling the sequel, the film, is about going back to the Overlook Hotel. Mm-hmm. Now, they're selling that in the in the in the um in the film version because obviously The Shining as a movie is a massive cultural thing. Everyone knows The Shining. Yeah. We're all into it. So all the posters and everything is about the iconography of the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. What that means is they are already deviating massively from the book of Doctor Sleep because in the book of Doctor Sleep it's a sequel to the Shining book, which means the Overlook Hotel got blown up. Yeah. At the end of the of the book, the the boiler doesn't get really because Jack forgets in his rage and his madness. Yeah. To dump the boiler, and it means that the whole place goes up in flames. Yeah. And so that means that. But he goes back in. He goes back in and tries to stop it. Yeah, but in this like rage, and he's this like he's become this just this thing. By the time he gets to that point, yeah, because he realizes what's about to happen, he can't let the overlook be destroyed. Um, but yeah, so what that means, we're at a massive like we're at a deviation point already. So whatever they do with the Doctor Sleep movie, yeah, Doctor Sleep will not be. Have you finished Doctor Sleep? Not quite yet. Okay, I'm only about. I've got about three hours left. Okay, I'm very close. I know that the overlook as a location still exists. In a way, but the building is in no a longer way. there. The building is no longer there. Yeah. Can't say anything else, <laughs> yeah, really. Okay. We'll have to talk about that more next week. But that's another <clears> interesting <throat> thing, because that's, that's, again, sort of in this world of sequels, prequels, remakes, reboots, all the stuff, yeah. there are, how which one do you latch on to? Yeah. Which version of something do you do? Because, again, even in the last couple of weeks, we've had a similar thing happen with Watchmen. So Watchmen is a sequel to the comic book. It is not a sequel to the 2000. Oh, yeah. So the, the TV, the new TV show. The new show TV on HBO. show that's just started on HBO is a sequel to the comic book written by Alan Moore. Yeah. And it is not a sequel to the 2009 film directed by Zack Snyder. Because no. that, again, in a very similar way to The Shining, changed the ending. Yeah. Significantly. 
It was fairly faithful. Again, like the shining, there are things taken directly out of the book in yeah. Stanley Kubrick's Shining, really close. Like, you know, the, the bathroom scene where Wendy slashes his hat, that's straight out of the book. Yeah. Even the sequence of events. You know, Danny going to room 237, mm-hmm. although they changed the number. Yep, 217. 217. Now, what does that mean? No idea. Because some people think he changed it to 237 because it's 237,000 miles to the moon. And it was his hint about how he helped fake the moon landing, Stanley Kubrick. It's genuinely. not 237,000. It's 186,000 miles to the moon. No. 237. <laughs> no, literally, that's, I swear to God, that's one of the guys. Brilliant. Of course it is. Um, there's also, um, what is it? So 237 is, oh, it might be 237,000 kilometers. Yeah, it might be it. So if there's 186, there's, yeah, 1.6. Maybe. I don't know, I can't bother to do the math. But, but it's also the um, the set, the name of the set, where they went, they filmed the moon landing as well. Stanley Kubrick it? directed it. Yes, it is, apparently. They had, they had, it was number 237 on the back lot. Oh, lot 237, was it? Yeah. Because they, they had 237, 237 lots. Yeah. Like, as a minimum. Oh, it's yeah, probably because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's really far yeah, no, away. 2001 A Space Odyssey was the trial run to see whether they could do it or not. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, is that the one where you're <laughs> saying about the uh, split cinematography? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, We've gone on a bit of a rant 237, because <laughs> it could be 13. Maybe, oh, no, it would be 12, wouldn't it? Is 12 a number? Oh, no, that was 19. Is, did you say is 12 a number? It's 12 a number that's relevant to the king of Earth. Oh, right, I don't know. Uh, 19 comes up a lot, because that was one of the numbers that was changed throughout the Dark Tower series. Mm. In the original print of the first book, the um, there's a number that's repeated throughout the Gunslinger, and I think it was 13 or something that was repeated over and over again. But as it progressed through the series, as he wrote the rest of them, he went back and changed them. It was like, actually, it's 19 now. <laughs> so by the time you get to book five, yeah, the number 19 appears everywhere. Yeah, I think, so, I, I, think I got to that point, actually, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean... so Sorry, we went on a bit of a rant there about the moon thing, but basically... There are, and this is coming out of that documentary that we mentioned earlier, there are lots of interpretations and people and academics who have read in what they want to read can, into. Can we, can we expressly say that we are using air quotes when we use the term academics? Yeah. Well, no, they are academics, but they have a very particular... Um, Cognitive dissonance. No, they, not even that. They, they confirmation have, bias. Yeah, it's confirmation Madness. bias. <laughs> so what it is is but there's and this is coming out of that documentary Room Two Three Seven, which is on um, Amazon Prime at the moment. If you've got any interest in filmmaking generally and sort of symbolism type stuff, I'd say have a look. But the thing I would say is that yeah, you've got these experts and they've got their their expertise in particular fields yeah. and particular things that they study. So there's one guy who is a Holocaust historian and right. he reads the entirety of The Shining as a metaphor for the Holocaust. Okay. And reads all his kind of, like all this weird iconography, the way things dissolve into one another. The, at one point he thinks right at the very end, you see Jack with a Hitler mustache, which is representative of something like all that. And then there's another person who's like all about the American, um, the white man versus the native Americans and how the white man took over all of native of, of the American and just like put them down and like he does stupid stuff like you know the sort of the extra caretaker guy who's in the um interview with him yeah he goes oh yeah you notice how he's got slightly darker sin and he never says anything he's always hanging around at the back he's like the subservient the the um like the native americans or really? the or the you know mexicans or hispanics who get <coughs> shoved in the background and don't get a chance to speak i'm like oh, the guy's just got a tan man the fuck are you talking about? There's one guy, yeah, and then there's this other guy who we like, who's got this whole crazy theory about how Stanley Kubrick helped fake the moon landing, uh. and he filmed the the moon landing sequence on behalf of the government. And there are loads of allusions to that in The Shining, apparently, not only in the iconography but also in the script. So there's a sequence where where Jack is losing his shit with Wendy about how he has a contractual <laughs> obligation to do something. To, and, and you know the the moral and ethical reasons why he must continue to do his work, and that guy, the, this guy, 
interprets that as Kubrick losing it with his wife when she found out that he was doing this for the for the government and wasn't happy about it. That's fucking silly, isn't it? It's silly. It's it's fucking silly. It is it is talking to conspiracy nuts. I, yeah. And the problem is, like, I've sat down probably four or five times to try and watch that documentary. Yeah, and I get to I normally get around the time when they start talking about the moon landing stuff, and I'm like, oh my god. And I have to turn it off. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame because, like, there are things in there. I think the. What I love about The Shining and what we've. Does we've, anybody talk about the inversion theory that, was that? Um, Kubrick's got about? So, one of the uh, specific things that is noted in the book mm. is, like, colours of things. Right, yeah. So, the, uh, the beetle that they drive yeah. is red. Yeah. The snow cat is yellow. Mm-hmm. The ball that Danny has that Jack plays with is red. Wendy's hair is blonde. In the book. In the book. So all and but then you go into the film, and all of these things have changed. Everything's inverted. Yeah. So the beetle is now yellow. The snow cat is red. The ball is yellow. Wendy's hair is now black. Mm. Now Shelley Duvall isn't naturally black haired, so they dyed her hair for this and it's like there's this weird inversion with the book mm. and like a lot of things that are like explicitly noted in the book are not explained in the film and things like, that are like looked at in the film are not explored in the book but like some things are like again some people interpret it interpret that as kubrick deliberately saying fuck you to stephen king mm. like to a point like the car is a really good example of that because yeah, you're right. He does have a yellow beetle, but yeah. there's the point when, um, what's his name, uh, Halloran is driving up in his car, and he drives past. There's a semi truck that's flipped over, yeah, and under, crushed underneath it is a red beetle. Oh, really? I think that was the point when you went to the bathroom. Uh, okay, but I yeah, it got and it's a red, never noticed that before. There you go. There's a red beetle under it, and that's him going fuck you, King. I'm not doing your version. I'm doing my version. That's funny. And maybe that's the same thing he's doing with. Shadow Devar's hair. Maybe that's the whole. He's just doing. No, this is my version. Yeah, and he's doing it deliberately to sort of wind him up or to sort of make it his own, put his own stamp on it. That's mad. But like I said, nothing. Everything Kubrick does, and every little. There's nothing arbitrary. Mm. Everything's thought about. Mm-hmm. He's, and every little, like every you know background, every poster on the wall, every the stained glass windows, the way everything's done is is deliberate and really well thought about. And you is it s- deliberate that the the skier is a minotaur? It's fucking not though, is it? It's a bloke skiing. <laughs> that's just silly. I, that's another one where, again, this is coming out of that documentary where someone just interprets. There's a point in the background. There's a poster on the back of the wall when the two little girls turn up, and it looks. I guess she decides that it looks a little bit like a minotaur, and then starts making all these allusions to like, well, the minotaur is meant to be the mythical creature at the center of the labyrinth, just like Jack is at the end. And when he looks from a certain angle, he looks like a minotaur. It's like, shut up. Okay, all right. His eyebrows are pointing. Yeah, I, that's just Jack Nicholson's eyebrows are pointy, all right? That's just the way the fucking guy looks. Yep. Right? Um, but just, yeah, Jack Nicholson would... Can you imagine Jack Nicholson being your dad in this? Just like that talk that he has with Danny, and like, you never hurt us, would you, Danny? Why would you say that? Of course I would never hurt you. Like that is like, well, clearly you would. Yeah. You said it like that. Clearly you're going to kill us all. Like, you're in a cl- battle. Like, obviously going to kill us. Like, and that, yeah, that was... And that's exactly the... Um, King's version, like, <laughs> said, problem with it. He says, because the minute I start watching that movie, I go, he's going to go nuts and try and kill them all. Mm-hmm. And there's no, isn't, that's not the tension. It's about when, yeah. how and when it happens. It's not about whether it will happen. Yeah. It's... But also, I think, like, one of the, I don't think that King, like, the ones that he likes the most are the ones that are so faithful to his ad. Yeah. His, Again, because, because he's got... he pours so much of his own life in there. Yeah. I guess so, yeah. And, but, like, I can get, there are certain things I get, like, like that one. I have, you know, not to labour the point, but I, I completely get what he means in terms of Jack Nicholson. But yeah. it's worth the payoff. Yeah. Because when he does go nuts, no one goes nuts like Jack Nicholson goes no. nuts. And fuck me, does that get his But he also happen? does sell it really well because it's the way that you're being told yeah. and shown. Because you just you're just convinced you're not like where does this come from you're you're like this guy's on the edge yeah shouldn't really be doing this yeah but and even like to be like he's like oh, I'm I'm a writer yeah five months in isolation is exactly what I need and you're like you're a fucking creep mate yeah 
And so the idea of him having writer's block is interesting as well. Mm. Because that's, again, that's not something that, something they do quite well in, and that is as virtue of the fact that obviously Stephen King is a writer and a lot of his protagonists tend to be writers. Mm. But he has this thing throughout the book where Jack's writing a play and he was writing the play before he even got to the Overlook. But before he drops it and goes on to the writing the book about the, the Overlook, the thing what he's writing is basically this story about a student and a teacher and them having this sort of rivalry in this yeah. at some academic prep school. And again, yeah. that's going to be some sort of analogy for his own life as a teacher and all the rest of it. But then what he says is as he's writing the book, his, his viewpoint on the two characters changes and yeah. shifts. And he starts sympathizing more with who was originally the bad guy in his story. Yeah. And is now he's going, actually, no, I don't, I like him more now. Yeah. Actually, no, he has got a point. And yeah. And then, uh-huh. like, yeah, and through his writing, you can see him turns like, and that's another really good device mm-hmm. that exists in the book. Doesn't exist in the movie. That is a, a, another thing they lost, which is, but it's another one of those things like you say, where it's just like why both versions are equally valid and equally yeah. fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fucking, and then, yeah, and of course we, but then, the, the inverse of that is by not having any of that and by having him have writer's block, you then end up with the fucking brilliant reveal in this movie of all work and no play make Makes Jack, Jack a dull, dull boy. boy, which is completely made up, <laughs> not in the book at all, but fucking brilliant and terrifying. And just, and then oh, the, I love the reveal bit where like it's just the camera slowly creeping around the corner from Jack's point of view, and you can see Wendy, and like we're watching her like a, like a fucking. Like, like a tiger or something yeah. about to about stalking to, the prey stalking their prey and just about to make the leap and then Jack comes into frame what yeah. do you think ah fuck <laughs> oh, it's so good let's watch it's it again amazing <laughs> it's so fucking good anyway um, I think that's kind of it so leading into next week yeah we are going to be watching Doctor Sleep so yeah Doctor Sleep is now the, is the sequel so it's yeah, it's that it's many many years later. The idea now is that we have got Danny Torrance, who's in his forties. Yeah, think? he's sort of by well, the book it spans a long period of time because when we first meet him in the beginning of the book, he's sort of in his late twenties, I think. Yeah, and then you get to this point where he also settles into a life, and but it goes over a long period of time. Yeah, um, how they'll go about doing that for the movie I don't know like we said about the whole idea of the the Overlook being a location in the movie is already deviating massively um, and they're choosing instead because of the because the Stanley Kubrick Shining is the more well known interpretation of it and they're yeah. trading on the cinematic legacy of that yeah. they have to therefore make changes so they can go back to the Overlook Hotel yeah. and it'll be interesting to see how well they recreate the set yeah, and there's, but I'm sure they will because but also that, like the, say, the, the the score as well. Yeah, they're using the score like in all the trailers. They're using that's got the boom boom boom, which has become iconic, mm-hmm. and they're using that as a way of selling this movie. Yeah, so it'd be I don't know how Stephen King feels about that, given his feelings towards The Shining. We've not, but seen it's one of those yet. things where it's a case of well, the studio owns it. It's yeah. it's a Warner Brothers thing, um, and that's what it will be, and. It'll be interesting. We won't talk too much about what the story of Doctor Sleep entails. No, we'll save that for next week. But it'll be interesting to see how they go about adapting it. Yeah, and um, you know what we'll also find out probably in the next week is what Stephen King thinks of it, mm. which is always good to find out whether the film's actually any good or not. Because whilst he's an yeah. incredibly talented writer, he has no judgment for films because he really liked The Dark Tower. And the TV miniseries of both It and The Shining. Oh yeah, just briefly, don't watch the TV miniseries of The Shining. No, it's four and a half days long, and it's shit. <laughs> yeah, in a word, um, the, the acting's really bad in it. That's the just everything about it is awful. It's a lot more faithful to the book. Yeah, a lot more to almost yeah to a fault. Like word for word, line for line, scene for scene, exactly the fucking same as the book, mm-hmm. but just done really badly. I yeah, can't poorly really, acted, poorly acted, poorly shot. shot everything about poorly. it is, and when held up in comparison to one of the best films ever, yeah, it just makes it look even worse. Yeah, so I wouldn't bother. Um, Don't do it to yourself. Absolutely not. 
Um, and if you do want to know, yeah, exactly. If you, if you are interested in the, the differences between the book and the film, just read the book um, because it's a great book. Um, but if you've got any interest in film, watch The Shining, for Christ's sake. Just, yeah, <laughs> do it. You owe it to yourself. You really do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, with that, thanks for listening. Um, we're back. We know we were away for a couple of weeks. We had some stuff on, but we're back now. Um, let us know what you think about The Shining or any of the Stephen King stuff that we've been talking about mm-hmm. and adaptations and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we are contactable on theoncastpod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on all the different socials and stuff. You can find us. Yep. Just search for The Oncast. Um, and that's it. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Cheers, boy. Yeah, also, so... Um, whatever you say. Whenever I see a title card in a film... <laughs> um, for anyone that might be, still be listening, any of you readers at home, hang on after the credits. Um, yeah, I really enjoy SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> and... Well, yeah, they often human. do title cards in that, and each time they do a title card, they have a different voice that goes over it. But one of my my favourite one is the French one. Yeah. And uh, but whenever I see a title card in a film now, I read it in my head with the French accent <laughs> from SpongeBob. Yeah. Which has kind of ruined The Shining a little bit because it's like one month later, <laughs> the interview. But, like, uh, the other one that I want to ask you about Witness is... Day. <laughs> I feel like there's always one in these... In almost every film we go and see this is not, where you laugh at something. I don't get it. And I have to mm-hmm. ask you afterwards. You kept laughing at Halloran. Yeah. Why? face. <laughs> Poor bloke. Like, he gets a real short... Sh- and that's another massive change from the book as well, obviously. That probably pissed King off no end. Yeah. Is that in this, in this Halloran just dies. Mm-hmm. He spends all that time getting there. And again, that's just another brilliant bit of Kubrick, though. Like mm-hmm. that whole walk down the corridor. Yeah. As he keeps walking past another pillar. And another pillar. He's like, he's behind that pillar. Nope. He's got to be behind that one then. Nope. Nope. And he doesn't break the shot and just keeps fucking following him, tracking him. And he keeps repeating the same line over and over again. It's just... Ugh, it's, again. It's, yeah, it's just the way that Scatman Carruthers delivers lines. <laughs> I, I and love... it's, it's nothing... It's not offensive in any way. It's just... He's just, he's just, he's a, he was a wonderful, wonderful man in a way. And I don't really know that much about him. I know that he was, from what I hear, he was a lovely man. Yeah. And uh, I always remember him fondly from The Shining. But sometimes the way that he delivers lines just <laughs> makes my, just makes me laugh. Like when he says bye to the policeman, <laughs> like the policeman says, oh yeah, well we're going to keep trying. So if you give us a call in... 20 minutes and he goes okay speak to you later bye like, I re- don't know why that made me laugh he's just, it really, just did. he's just really polite nice but that's what's it's weird again another juxtaposition because like, he's a really nice polite old man but when he's sat in bed he's got these these like, massive yeah. posters of like, naked women on his like, yeah. these naked women with giant afros yeah like with their massive tits massive afros and massive tits and it's just like okay but you're like a kindly sort of 60-year-old man. Mm-hmm. I'm very confused. Like... I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> anyway, all right. Yeah, thanks for that, guys. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye. Again. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs>